Hello and welcome to season three, episode 11 of Dualist Community. I am here now and always have been and always will be. And I'm excited to see what insights make it through the moving quagmire of our subconscious into this discussion. And, and I'm especially excited to be talking about the subconscious at some point in this discussion, because today we are joined by a very special guest. But before I introduce her, I'm going to go through just a few announcements, as always. Uh, the first of which is, of course, the group chats that we host on Patreon almost every week of the month are growing by leaps and bounds. Every month, the groups are getting bigger, the conversations are getting more in-depth, there are more and more stories and successes and insights that are being shared. I cannot recommend it enough that if you are looking for a conversation like the one that we have on this podcast, join us on Patreon. It's well worth the $5 per month. You also get access to my previous articles from Another Life back in 2005 and 2007 when I was first starting to come to all this. You get access to Andrew's ebook, you get access to of over 100 hours of previous footage from other groups and other discussions, as well as some behind the scenes footage from when we record the podcast. So it's definitely worth your time. The second announcement, of course, is that we have a new series, if you're not already aware of it, it's called Community Topics. There are already five episodes that have been released. There is a sixth episode coming up, and we do new episodes every week after that. If you'd like to suggest a topic, all you have to do is join us on Patreon or Discord and suggest what you would like us to talk about. And then the rest of the community can vote on it every week. And if your vote ends up in the top two, we will talk about it for that episode. So it's a lot of fun. Everybody gets a say. And of course, it really encourages the community to get more involved and to communicate with one another, because sometimes people are actually comparing notes about what they would like to suggest before they suggest it. So that's often helpful as well. So without any more rambling, I'd like to get on to our guest because this is a conversation I've been waiting for for a long time. Our guest today is Farah Dyer. You can find her on TikTok or Instagram at Farah.Dyer. And that dot is a period. It is not the word dot. So I just want to make that very clear. Farah is a hypnotherapist and a subconscious mind whisperer. She focuses a lot on neuroscience and the subconscious, and she tends to share tools that help with the realization that we are already existing in wholeness, that we have infinite potential that is waiting to be unlocked, and that our habits are largely in the way of what would otherwise be a fluid way of living or, or a way of accepting ourselves. And so without any further ado, I'd like to introduce her and get her to tell us a little bit about herself, how she came into hypnotherapy, and a little bit about why she does it and why she enjoys it. Hi, Farah. Hello, I'm very excited as well. So yes, as you mentioned for work, I am a hypnotherapist. How that came about is my career path has been a wild one. I started off in the pharmaceutical biotech industry as a newscaster in that field vertical, which was very illuminating. Um, and then I went on to start my own company. And when I started my own company, I reached a point where I couldn't grow it anymore. And I knew it was like, I just had some psychological barrier. So I went to a hypnotist and she worked her magic on me and I was able to grow my company. Um, and I always found, even before that, I always found everything about hypnosis wildly fascinating. When I was in high school, I would weird read weird like hypnosis books. And it was just, it was just something that I always thought was so interesting, but it never occurred to me that I could do it. Um, I think I was just like I have immigrant parents. I just had this idea that I had to be this kind of person playing this kind of role. And um, I finally was like, I'm really miserable and I hate what I'm doing. 
And then I had to take like a hard look at myself, like, what do I want to do? And I was like, I want to be a hypnotist, but I don't want people to know that I'm a hypnotist. <laughs> like I was like, maybe I can, you know, be like an incognito hypnotist. And then finally I was just, I just went all in and I love everything about the subconscious mind. I love everything about transformation, healing, and I just love people so much. And so I found this career path that fits me for now perfectly. And I love it. That is awesome. Yeah. I, I was able to listen to another podcast you were on and it actually kind of hearing a little bit more about your story ties into uh, something I was, I was curious about and something that I just found very interesting. And so when you're talking a little bit about your story, you talked about how you had your business and had a lot of amazing clients and they're reached kind of like threshold. And then you saw the hypnotherapist and you became very interested in that, or you already were interested in that, but you know, didn't think of yourself as, as doing it. And through that session, you were able to unlock a little bit more of yourself or like maybe some limiting beliefs that allowed you to grow your business even more, which is what you wanted to get out of it. And then you said that you realized that maybe it isn't exactly what you want. And it pushed you so far to the point that you realized like, this isn't what I actually want to be doing necessarily. And then eventually you got into hypnotherapy. And what I found interesting was when you were talking about that, like going to the hip hypnotherapist, that it was like what you thought you wanted. And then you realized that it, that it wasn't, or it pushed you so far that you actually didn't enjoy it. And then that was like, it's, it was kind of like the end of that segment of the podcast. And then you shifted into another topic. And I found that very interesting because so often in our life, we segment out specific situations. And for you, maybe it seemed like going to that hypnotherapist led to that, which wasn't, you know, necessarily what you wanted, but it was what you wanted at the same time. And it like, is kind of uncertain as to whether that was a, a net positive or right. negative going to that hypnotherapist. But then, you know, you take like one more step back and see where that led to, which led to pushing you out of that sort of situation, getting into hypnotherapy, something that you actually really wanted to do. So it's, it's interesting when you, when we let go of like the, the segmentation of like moments, we can see that that therapy session led you to going through a situation in your life that maybe wasn't exactly what you wanted, but then that situation led to something else that, that you did want. So in my life, I've seen this a number of times where I think I'm going through something awful and then it leads to something great. And then it leads to something, you know, awful or, or whatever. There's yeah. so many ups and downs. How, how has your perspective on that shifted throughout your life, especially going through all of that? And I don't know if, if you're able to expand a little more on those situations and, and how that all played out and how that has been able to sort of shift your mentality and, and now moving forward, potentially let go of, of your ideas of maybe so much of what's best for you or what you think is good or bad in the moment and letting go of those labels is probably for most people, begets a lot of, a lot of peace and, and less self-created suffering in their life. Yeah. I mean, you bring up such interesting points there because in the end, yeah, when I, I reflect back on this a lot, when it comes to the hypnotherapist, she accelerated something. So that was good in the sense that even if I was going in the wrong direction, instead of just standing still in life, 
just accelerate it and then realize like, okay, I'm going in the wrong direction. And then I can quickly reroute as opposed to before, I probably would have lived kind of in this weird limbo place if I hadn't gone all in on that career. So I think um, going all in on things is definitely something I learned, but I, I have to say like, there are moments in my life that really dark, messed up shit went down, like things that most people would be like, fuck, that is awful. And I think those are the situations that I reflect back on. And I'm like, wow, life is weird. Like I, just like a trigger warning for some people, like, you know, like a lot of women I was on, I was sexually assaulted um, and in like a really awful, heinous way. And there was follow-up with it. Like the person was harassing me. It's just like, it was really, you know, awful. And, um, I was went into like pretty intense, like psychotherapy. I ended up going down like a really dark path of addiction, like trying to self-medicate because I was just so severely traumatized. And I didn't know how, what, or how to navigate that other than like, push it down, push it down. And like now that I've done a lot of intense healing work and I'm on the other side of that, like it's, if I said this and I will say, it, and people are going to be like, whoa, it's like, I'm really grateful I was sexually assaulted because at the end, I learned so much about healing. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about how to navigate really difficult moments. And most importantly, I have just so much more deep empathy for people because I, I can empathize with being you know, like a victim, I don't even like the word victim, but like being a victim of that. But I can also empathize with anyone who's doing things that on the outside people are like, wow, that's that person's self-sabotaging and they're doing really destructive behavior. And it's like, I can always look at anyone in any situation and be like, yeah, you're doing what you have to do to survive right now instead of judging. So it's like everything in life is a learning opportunity if you choose to see it or like, maybe not choose, but like, you know, like we have to learn kind of how to do that. And also like not to judge your own story when you're in the thick of the shit, you know, like you have no idea how that those situations are going to turn around and just make you a person who has more life experience. And like, your life is so much more vibrant. Like if you were to take a photo, if I took a photo and it was all light, you wouldn't be able to see anything. The photo would be completely blown out. You need the contrast to be able to see the photo more clearly. And I want my life now just to be as big and as vibrant and as bold and all the things as possible. So, yeah. That's awesome. I, I like one thing that you were saying there earlier. I liked everything that you said, but I wanted to refer back to one thing specifically. Uh, you were talking about how hypnosis ended up being kind of an accelerant, that you were already on that trajectory. It just kind of moved some of your doubts out of the way so you could achieve that trajectory without doing anything for the recognition that maybe that's not the best trajectory for you, right? It's kind of like Jim Carrey was saying that I wish everybody could have everything that they want, all the fame, all the fortune, everything else, so they could realize it doesn't make you happy. Mm. right did he say that i've said that before yeah, too I, I felt the same way when it comes to like money it's like when i was growing my company i kept moving the benchmark i was like oh if i get these kinds of clients and if i make this amount of money and i kept reaching it and one time i was like i said a number i'm like this is like a heinously large number and when i reached it that moment i remember it was funny because one of my employees came to me and like said this like huge client we had just landed and by huge disney like we had landed like a huge client we'd flown there and we signed everything and i was 
went back to my hotel room. I couldn't celebrate. I was just like so depressed because I realized like, what is there to strive for? Like, this is not filling the, the blackness inside my heart. Like, you know, like I was just so like dramatically depressed that day. But yeah, you, you do come to realize that like that kind of stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't because it, it doesn't change who you are and what you do with your life, right? It only changes the superficial, it changes the environment. This is something Alan Watts also talked about in talking about uh, music and life, that you know, if, if music was the same as we tend to treat life, it would all, it would just be one crashing chord. It would be, that would be the end of the song. There would be no music because we're so determined to get to the end. But the point of the music is the song. It's how it moves and how it plays. And so if we treated life the same way, it would be a never ending journey. It would be a never ending dance. But instead, we're like, I got to get to success. I got to get to the end of this. And we chase that, that carrot or we run from that stick, right? So it's, it's really interesting how you went through that. And I want to return to hypnosis here quickly because I have met hypnotherapists and I've met quite a, a wide variety of hypnotherapists in my life. And some of them, incredibly effective. They were incredibly effective and really nice people, super aware about their own habits and super aware about what they were doing and the limitations of what they were doing in terms of it eventually becoming a crutch where it could be something that, that liberates you. And I've, I've met other hypnotherapists who were in it strictly for the illusion of control, strictly for the promise that this is going to fix all your woes. You just come in and, and I got your back. And, and so what I enjoy about hypnotherapy is that it's not very different than what we're doing here on the podcast or what we're recommending people do in their day-to-day -day life in that introspection. Just be very careful about the habits that are running in the background that you're not aware of. And the more you're willing to question things, the more aware you become of those habits and the more opportunity you have to deliberately make other habits yeah. that serve you, right? And so I find hypnotherapy to be a lot like entrainment, right? If it's done correctly, where you're actually coaxing yourself to be more productive or to be more efficient in how you think and how you be and, and what you do just just through recognizing the habits that you weren't aware of before would you say that's that's a, a fairly appropriate comparison um it could be i mean it's not just about habits it's also about the meaning we ascribe to things that's really i think at the crux of it because like for example somebody is fearful of, I guess, but also emotions are a habit. So yeah, <laughs> already came back full circle there. I'm like, hmm, because people, I think the most common things people come in for are relationship to self identity stuff, um, habit stuff and fear, like specific phobias, you know, like if somebody has a fear of like an MRI machine they, and they need to get it. Like they, some, they come and get hypnotized or if they have like a fear of driving on bridges or a fear of, you know, certain things, hypnosis can be highly effective if you are in the category of people who are hypnotizable, which not everyone falls into that category either. Yeah, I feel like there's so much overlap with all of these concepts and, and things discussed with, you know, hypnotherapy idea of self habits, recognizing that you're everyone recognizing that you're, you're not disconnected from anything. And, and it's like, they all kind of are intertwined to a degree. We just perceive them a little bit differently. Like, you know, when people have the idea of themselves that inherently divides them 
from everything else. So I feel like for everyone, there's like different paths to get them to those recognitions. And, you know, for me, it was recognizing that I'm everything was, was dropping the walls of, of the idea of myself and, and letting go of, of the idea of me and, and questioning all the things I let, I believed to be the truth about myself. And as I let go of those and recognize that none of those were actually the truth of what I am, then it's like the whole idea of Andrew isn't the truth of what I am. And if I'm not the idea of Andrew, then what am I not? That isn't also everything sort of deal. And, and so there's a lot of overlap and with our habits, they're almost like reinforced by the ideas that we hold on to about ourselves to like counteract those ideas about ourselves to, you know, try and subconsciously almost like make us feel more whole and not so disconnected. And I think something you've mentioned in the past was regarding, you know, happiness and joy and, and peace and all of those things are always stems from a feeling of connection to reality. And when I, when I hear you say that, or, or talk about that, I see it as like recognizing unity. And oftentimes we, we perceive it because there's so much duality and we are, you know, ex experiencing the illusion of duality. We, we see it as like, I am something that is connected to other things, but if everything's connected, then it's all one thing. So there's like, I guess, different aspects of, of different avenues you can take to recognizing that. And I think a, a step on that path is recognizing the connection of everything. And, and through that, there isn't so much to fear when you see yourself in everything else, because I see fear as something that's, that stems from believing that there is an external, there are things that you are not, you can only really be afraid of things that you don't also identify as. So yeah, I don't, I don't really have a question to follow up with this, but I mean, I'm you said a lot of thoughts here. so many thoughts. You said a lot of interesting things. I almost wish I took some notes. <laughs> I'm going to go with, um, just the fear part. And then I'm going to also circle back to identity stuff because both are really interesting. I mean, fear is a direct result of separation without self. There is no fear. And I love there's a neuroscientist by the name of Joseph, Joseph Ledoux, who basically is so interesting because he kind of pioneered all the research around the amygdala. And, you know, like now people always, and I hear it all the time on TikTok, people talk amygdala, amygdala, fear, fear. The amygdala is not the fear center of the brain. So let's like everyone, everyone know now the amygdala is not the fear center of the brain. The amygdala is the danger center of the brain. And so like, I'm going to explain this in this um, scientific experiment that Liz Phelps did that illustrates this just perfectly. They took a bunch of people and it was a science experiment. They put them in a room and they would show a blue square on a screen. Every time the blue square showed up, they would zap the people, right? So then they start to associate that blue square getting zapped. And when it would get zapped, they also did um, fMRI. They could see in the brain that the amygdala got activated. And they're like, okay, we see here amygdala activated, heart rate increase, respiratory rate increase. Like, all the things. And then they're like, okay, this person has fear. Then they started showing them the blue square subliminally. And then would ask them afterwards, they'd see amygdala activated, all the same stuff were happening, but subliminally. And they would ask the people, 
So describe your fear. And people would be like, I didn't experience any fear. What are you talking about? But they had all the symptoms that we associate with fear. And so then they also started to notice that patients who have damage to their amygdala, so they can't feel the physical sensations that we describe as fear. You talk to them, they still have anxieties and fear. So that thing that we have labeled as feelings of fear, it's not fear, it's our perception that those things are happening to us, that the danger is happening. It's autonoetic consciousness. Autonoetic consciousness is our idea of self and our idea of self traveling through time. That's what creates the fear. It's not the actual symptoms that we call fear. That's just the meaning we ascribe to fear. It's the fact that we have an idea and a sense of self and those things are happening to me. That is what is anxiety and fear. I just think that like, um, it's hilarious because <laughs> he also talks about how there are all these drugs like benzos and you know all these anti-anxiety medicines and that have come up and none of them work. People think that they work at first because they're like, oh, I, I kind of feel relaxed and they strive something. But after a while, they don't work. People still have just as much anxiety and fear because all it is, it's a dampening of those sensations in your brain. It's not actually dissolving. And that's why psychedelics work because psychedelics, when you experience ego death, then you can experience the dissolving of the identity. So I just find this kind of stuff like wildly fascinating. And then I, I will quickly also mention some stuff about identity. Although I don't know if I want to, I want to see if Ray has anything to say before I change the topic. Because I could see him kind of like. I, I loved your point. I, I just wanted to mention quickly that it's, it's a lot like what we're discovering right now in terms of the antidepressants that have been pushed on us for 20 years based on the idea that, you know, we have a chemical imb imbalance in our brain. And now all of a sudden they're doing the research that they should have done to begin with but of course there was a lot of profit there to to say actually that's not true which we knew because nobody ever tested the chemicals in our brain when they gave us that diagnosis so serotonin actually has nothing to do with your depression uh it really comes down to how you identify it comes down to what you're doing with the chemical yeah. interactions in your brain but we always want to foist responsibility we always want to put the cart before the horse and say no no it's that's fault right but that is us like we always tend to translate it as the chemicals create the emotion, but the emotion alters the chemicals. So you can't divide the two. And they do work like it makes sense that these things do work in the short term. And I'm not someone that, you know, like if you want to take a benzo every now and then when you get on a plane, yeah, it's going to help you. But if you take a benzo every day, that could help you for many reasons. And then even with antidepressants, like they there is going to be just a natural uptake of you feeling more increased feelings of well-being when you have more serotonin circulating in your brain but is that really in the long run going to bring you like a greater satisfaction of life probably not and also a lot of i mean this is an area always i'm like hesitant to talk about because i know it's so heated and i am not a doc medical doctor um but i can say as somebody who worked in the pharmaceutical industry um Pharmaceutical companies don't give a fuck about you. They just don't. I was in charge of, there's this conference that happens in Laguna at the time when I was working for this company, which was 12 years ago. Um, it might've changed, but like they would only let CEOs of really big companies there. 
they wouldn't let anyone else near that conference. Like if you were not a C, if you were even like a COO at the time, they were like, no. Um, but they let me one year go because I was a new, I was a media director and a newscaster. And so didn't let me in, you know, and they let me like record some people at, at a side room, like the CEO of Eli Lilly at the time, like, you know, do you want to know what like the biggest, most important topic everyone was discussing and freaking out over was this idea of a patent cliff. And a patent cliff is when a pharmaceutical company's drug is falling off patent. And I mean, the amount of money they lose when this happens is astronomical. So what does a pharmaceutical company have to do? They have to repatent it for something else. And I am not shitting you about this story. When I was working at the company at the time, I, I when I was reading this news story, I thought that that they were effing with me. Like I was just reading off of a teleprompter. I was like, oh no, you're like, come on. I'm not going to say that. It was like farm. Uh, it was Pfizer. What Viagra was falling off patent with Pfizer. And so Pfizer made a pitch to repatent Viagra to children. And it was something like to children with restless legs. Syndrome. Like, you know, like just something like some, the most bullshitty thing ever. Cause they just didn't want to lose all that money. So it's like, wow. Like, they don't give in. <laughs> like, you really have to take your health and your happiness and all that stuff into your own responsibility. And you have to just be true to yourself, like to thy own self be true, whatever works for you. Yeah. Oh my God. Those stories make me physically ill i'm not gonna lie like oh my goodness like and so much of it too with people buying into it comes down to responsibility as well we want to voice like ray just said we want to voice responsibility onto something outside of ourselves and, and not take it for what it is so we want to say that you know these these things are happening to me and there's nothing i can do whatsoever and i need this other thing and you know the, the pharmaceuticals and the, the politicians are in each other's pockets and they're like reinforcing it and they're all making money off of each other. So they, they want you to believe that to be the truth. And then one of the crazier parts too, is if you talk about it and, and mention that, you know, maybe there's some other perspectives, maybe, you know, maybe this isn't the end all be all thing. They, they, you know, send them mob after you. They, they say yeah. like, you know, you can't do that. That's so disrespectful. You're, you're not giving these people the, the credit for the circumstance they've been dealt. You know, they have this chemical imbalance and you're telling them that, you know, maybe some responsibility could do them some good. And I'm not saying that's always the exact case. Like every situation is different, but they create this sort of cycle where, because they make all this money, they can sort of place these narratives on it. And now the media is involved in that cycle of pharma and politicians. And so they're pushing narratives of, you know, whatever they want to reinforce the things that hinder people from being able to talk about this stuff in other perspectives than the things that are going to take away the money from the pharmaceuticals and the politicians. And it's like this absolutely fucking disgusting vicious cycle that we're experiencing right now and we've been experiencing you know in many different forms for a very long time and i'm very excited that you know certain things are coming out regarding 
all these topics and, and alternative medicines that have for very long been thought of as just like, Oh, woo woo. If it's not, you know, prescribed by big pharma, it doesn't actually work. It's like, maybe that shit didn't work to begin with. And, you know, I don't even, I'm not being like a conspiracy theorist here, but like even the studies they do, they're making so much money off it. Like who's to say that those studies are actually like a hundred percent legit that they're putting out there. And it's like, maybe, you know, find out for yourself, not saying they don't work to a degree, but it could be other options out there. That's all I'm saying. Also, like, it's really interesting because with like almost anybody, if almost anybody, I don't care if you're, how happy you are, I could probably reverse engineer depression onto you. Like, let's make sure you don't get any physical exercise. Let's make sure that you don't walk outside and connect with nature. Let's make sure that you don't have any social time. Let's make sure you're not eating the proper foods. Let's make sure you're not sleeping enough. So a lot of times it's like, you have to realize that you're human and you have needs and happiness and feelings of well-being are a byproduct of what your habits are and what you're doing every day. And how much, like even so many people don't get enough light into their eyes. Just like the way you view light is so important to your well-being. So it's just, I, I wish like that kind of intervention would happen first before putting somebody on medication or maybe like put somebody on short-term medication so that they can have like the motivation and drive and energy levels to live that way every day for a little bit. And then, you know. Yeah, absolutely. But then you have to be willing to let go of the repeat business, which is the hardest thing, right? Because if in capitalism, you need that repeat business. You want those people coming back for more, right? And, and there, it's, not, it's not a very good business model to have a business that has an endpoint unfortunately true. I wanted to mention quickly what you were talking about, about reverse engineering depression, because, well, what's interesting for me is that as a parent, that is actually the consideration that I've had in raising my daughter is how did I get to depression? How did I get to anxiety? How did I get, don't do that. Don't reinforce those things. Don't, don't teach her to think in the ways that I once thought were the only ways to think. And so over time, that's, that's been the focus. And so it's never been about identity. It's always been about, yeah, identify, see the value in it, you know, boost yourself up. Sure. Don't take it so seriously that you start putting other people down. Don't take it so seriously that you're, that you're afraid to question it. And it's been her whole life has been like that because again, I recognize the path to depression so well because I lived there for so long. Right. And so I think that's, that's unfortunately the, the case is that as we, get out of out of depression or out of hell and we start to realize the pathways that we we took to get there we can communicate it to others but often if we're not parents especially we're trying to communicate it to people who are still firmly immersed in hell mm. and it's because our schooling system is still reinforcing the path at mm. the end of the day so it's up to the parents it's up to us it's up to people who are waking up to to just be aware of it because then it enters into every conversation we have to some degree. It's not like we're like, Hey, this is the way out of hell. But all of a sudden it's like a, a, one of my clients who is a counselor was asking me what, what tools and whatnot do I use in a particular situation? And my, my advice was to let go of all of that. Just be with that person. Just let go of, of all of your worries about not saying the right stuff and just empathize to the best of your ability, work on the connection. 
they came up with tools on the fly in the next in the next session because they were actually in the conversation. They weren't just reaching mm -hmm. for that tool bag, right? Mm -hmm. So it's always just have faith in yourself, be aware, right? Just keep moving forward and, and, and go through those experiences. But we pick up these habits and these meanings and these, these, these interpretations of things over time. And that's why I said at the beginning of the episode, it becomes kind of like a moving quagmire, like every bit of wheel that we have has to go through this filter of shit about what we think of ourselves and what we fear we might be before it actually gets embodied in anything that we do. So it's interesting how we can kind of ease the way through that by just being aware of it, by picking it apart, by using, you know, hypnosis to some degree, or, or, and this is, and it's funny because Andrew and I have had this conversation many times regarding affirmations. I'm not a big fan of affirmations in the state of mind I'm in now. Mm -hmm. Right. But in a certain state of mind before it was absolutely important for me to balance out the habitual negative thoughts that I was going through day to day. I had to remind myself right. that the other perspective existed. So there's a, there's a place for it. It's just, when we start reaching for the next tool, it's when we start going, okay, affirmations aren't working anymore. What next? Ooh, a mandala or something. And, and it's like, okay, at some point you've got to put the crutch down. Like you have to, to stretch your legs. You have to go through it to see how much you've learned, just how much you've learned. Right. And I wanted to say this very quickly. I know I'm going on a tangent, but Munchie is very important to me. You have a dog <laughs> named Munchie. And this was the very first video that I, I stumbled across where I encountered your content. So in your own personal work, going through this, facing your journey, letting go of your, of your idea of yourself and all of your limitations, you have gained a certain degree of clarity and awareness and empathy. And because of that, I imagine your relationship with your dog is very intimate and connected, that you can mm -hmm. understand what's happening from point to point, because I'm the same way with animals as well, because there's so little of me in the way I'm just in the interaction. What I found really funny was that you had done this video where Munchie was on the screen with you and you were saying, look, it's funny because I can talk about eating food or anything like that. It doesn't bother him at all. But if I mention I want to eat his face and then Munchie starts growling and it was each and every time you, you switched back and forth, like, look, yeah. talk about eating a salad. Oh, I want to eat your ear. And he started growling. Yeah. And it was the funniest thing because that there that interaction is is indicative of your level of connection of your level of flow and how little is in the way as well and i find it so very interesting that i've met so many pet owners that wonder why they're not more connected with their dog they take them to obedience school they do all that but it's because they have their head up their ass that they can't hear their pet so i find that really really interesting do you find the connection that you have not just with your with your dog but with strangers with people you just meet you know, out of the blue, do you find that your sensitivity has continued to elevate over time that you have almost an intuitive read for where that person's coming from? Not about their story, but the state of mind that they're embodying largely when they talk to you? I'm not sure. And I'll tell you why. I have found that like a lot of people who call themselves empaths, I'm going to like, probably a lot of people are going to be pissed. I find that like a lot of times they're just projecting their own state onto someone else. They're like, I am such an empath. It's like, I can feel that person's pain. No, you're feeling your own pain and you're assuming. So it's hard for me to gauge because when I'm talking to someone, I've always just been someone that's very, just locked in on somebody and just naturally very curious, but never really making judgments. So it's hard for me to tell. But I will say this, 
I do find that when I'm talking to people and when I'm connecting with people, I used to have a, a lot of internal narrative about what's going on with me. I used to be like, oh, I feel so awkward. Oh my God, can they tell that I'm feeling awkward? Oh my God, don't look at them. No, look at them more. Maybe if you break eye contact, they're going to tell. I used to just have so much. And now when I'm with someone, I'm just like really locked in and, you know, and that so, very much was the point that I wanted to make because that that is that is the case. Like we get so wrapped up in ourselves, we have no sensitivity. I've often said mm -hmm. that if you want to see what is, let go of what you want to see. Yeah. Right? And so often in conversations, as you work on yourself, that's what happens. Like you stop looking for anything from anyone, and as a result, you can see them clearly. Right? You let go of your judgments, and all of a sudden, you can see the things that you didn't want to see before. And the more you work on that, the more your intuition does, does shine through. I would never say that people are empaths because again, that's just another label. And you can tell by the fact that they're clinging to that label that it's not fucking true. Uh, but there is an ounce of truth as always to all of that snake oil. Like there is an intuitive connection. We see it all the time in terms of counseling. We see it in conversations. We see it when we're, we're having a connection with somebody empathetically or, or even in a, in a Reiki session or anything like that in martial arts. You know, the ultimate goal of martial arts, and I'm wearing an appropriate t-shirt for this, is to completely let go of the idea of yourself or the person you're fighting for it to be just one flow that's an expression of, of who you are, mm. right? And so, yeah, that, that's why when I watch your content, it's so much more than the superficial. You're not just sharing concepts. You're not just sharing tools. You're sharing an insight and you're describing it through a tool, but the insight is genuine. The insight is yours. That's more or less why I, I figured that you have a fairly good flow state when it comes to interacting with people. Yeah, um, I, I think I do. Cause I just, I genuinely just love people so much. And I think that there it's, there's like two things there. One is we're all empaths. That's like, just the bottom line is all of us are empaths. It's just that some of us have more resistance in the way, but if you eliminate the resistance, we're all empaths. And to me, I, I actually refer to the resistance as judgment. And I think all there is in life is love. And I know people are like, oh, it's so cheesy. I'm like, okay, let me break it down. Think about your relationship with yourself. If you are not, because most people can be like, okay, I can, I can get that. I can get the relationship with myself. Do you love yourself? Someone says, uh, no. Okay, why? They'll give you their judgments. Well, if you eliminated your judgments, what would there be? just love, just compassion, just that's all there is. So it's like really at the end of the day. And that's why I love Andrew, by the way, I heard you one time talk about how much you walk. You're the only person I've known that walks as much as me. I walk. And I think maybe it's a byproduct of living in a city, but like in the morning, I'll do a five mile walk after I do a fitness class. And when I'm walking around, I'm just looking at everything and just like, thinking like just either trying to really be in the moment it's kind of like a meditative practice which you know there really isn't much trying involved it's pretty simple and just loving everything and i noticed when i fell out of love i'll be like ah because my mind said something like that person is well like creating some kind of judgment but if there's no judgment there's just like oh just feeling of love and gratitude and you know yeah, absolutely. It's funny too, because Ray's just as much a walker as I am. And it's, I don't know if, if we'll ever all meet in person, but we're, when Ray and I met in person, I think we walked that it, over the course of two full days, at least like 
I think it was 38 miles or yeah. something. We, we were almost at 20 miles a day. It was absurd, but we were also like, we didn't sleep that much. We, we were like probably pretty high half the weekend, just like wandering <laughs> around it. the town that the Airbnb was in to the point that it was like, we were wandering around at 3am just like to go on a walk. Cause we weren't tired and it was a lot of fun, but um, you bring up a point that I wanted to, I meant to talk about, cause I've heard you talk about it before the idea that all humans are innately good. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant with too many labels of like of good and bad and whatnot, but I think, you know, whether it's good or love, it's all sort of the same realm or, or recognition. It's, it's that evil or, or division is how I see it. Like if, if unity is heaven, division is hell, or, or the recognition of unity is heaven, the perception of division is hell, the, the perception of other is hell, then everyone, when they're born, they experience unity. And, and Ray mentioned this to me, and I haven't forgotten it in one of our early episodes in season one, that you know when babies are born, they don't perceive division yet. So when they see you know, a parent leave the room, they start crying because they think it's, you know, it's dead. It's gone forever because they don't see that like, oh, they can come in and out of the room or something because they're, you know, there's this perception of, of division. So it's the same thing. And I've always thought that too, that like everyone deep down is, you know, inherently good or whatever words you want to use, but this, these evil or, or bad intentions are, are taught to us. And it's, it's because division is taught to us. And all of a sudden there, there is an other that we perceive. So I, I just wanted to chat about this in the group that this idea of unity being recognized when, when we're young and then eventually we're taught. And I think a lot of it has to do with the idea of ourselves, the, the idea that everyone else is identifying everyone else you know, believe that they are their name. They are what they, you know, what they've done in the past. They are the story that they tell themselves. They are what other people think they are. And it's they like sinners. They're born a sinner into this world. Exactly. Fucking religion does a great job of reinforcing that point. Oh, geez. Yeah. We can go on about that for a while too, but yeah, the same sort of thing that's driven home, whether it's identity or original sin or or any of it, that you are something that's separate from anything, from anything or, or everything that, you know, is innately a sinner. You, you need yeah. to seek God and, and follow the church's path and, you know, give them a shitload of money along the way in order to find peace, find, find freedom. You need to look outside of yourself to achieve all of these things. And I think, you know, over time, and especially you can kind of feel it now, almost that more people are recognizing all of these illusions, this perception of division may not be as real as we thought. There's more people leaving the church, more people leaving these institutions that rely on the perception of division, that rely on you believing that you are something separate from anything, even the belief that you are, you know, a believer in, you know, whatever you believe in is an identity inherently. So it's fascinating. And I saw just a lot of parallels with, you know, that recognition of unity as we're born. And then over time we perceive division, same with like, we're born good and the bad, the evil is taught. And I think a lot of it, a lot of the evil stems from having this idea of ourselves and trying to build it up even more. And through that process, some of the 
ramifications or byproducts of trying to build this idea of ourself to no end, because there is no end to that idea. It's, it, go, it can go on forever. You can you know, conquer everything and you still won't be satisfied. That's where a lot of it comes from, trying to build and create this idea of ourselves that's bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, we don't really give a shit what gets in our way along the way. And there's a lot of harm that comes from continually trying to become more of that. And we've seen it, you know, throughout history, everyone who's ever done crazy evil things is trying to build their ego and, and reaffirm their ego is the truth through being correct about whatever they do and whatever they believe in to, you know, to no end, essentially. I was just going to say quickly that it's been like that for a very long time like the Salem witch trials, the Spanish Inquisition. It's not even religion that does it. It's any majority will eventually get to the point where they cling to that majority status so much that anybody who is of the minority or any outliers need to be eradicated or ostracized or converted because we cannot stand the fact that they threaten the fictions that we're holding on to, whether it be about you know the nature of your government or the nature of your religion or the nature of your community. It's the same thing. Nationalism is, is very much... Uh, akin to religious belief. You're still holding on to an idea and identifying with it as a source of your value, something that needs to be protected. Right? And so there's always th this tendency for the majority to want to protect the majority mentality. Right. And, and we're not going to get out of that until each and every person starts to recognize that there's a cost to all of that. There is a cost. But it's almost like it's a natural thing for us to do. I mean, these stages of ego development, which I've talked about before, there is a stage where we do grapple to groups that are like us, where we are looking for a structure of what is normal or what is appropriate and what is not. And that's just part of our growth. But then it gets caught in judging everybody who doesn't adhere to that same norm or anybody who doesn't adhere to that same group. And that's where we're supposed to question it and move beyond it. But we just get stuck on it because that's our security. That's why we, we, we get angry in a religion when anybody questions the status quo, or we get angry in a government when anybody starts to question the purpose of the government. We call it treason. We come up with punishments for it because we're so fragile, right? Like, and, and so it really just comes back down to an understanding of our development. I really do believe this, that if we could understand that our body is a brilliant machine that is meant to keep us alive, it goes out of its way to figure out ways to keep us alive and to perpetuate the species. So as we grow up through our, home, our hormones and through our developmental process, we are fighting against the body's very simplistic mechanisms of trying to keep this form alive, right? Which is why you know, we fall into want and desire and lust and all this other stuff and greed and misery and suffering because our body doesn't know the difference. Our body is just like, I need that. This mm -hmm. is what I need next. And, and so as we gain awareness, we start to go, oh, oh, wow, that, like, I, that sucks. I got caught in a lot of stuff, but it's like, right, but you're still alive. Yeah. And you have all of this stuff to learn from because that's part of the process. But nobody has these conversations with their children. There are no classes in school to talk about just being a human and developing as a conscious being. There's none of that because it's just get a job, buy a house, get married. You know, that's the end of the dream. That's all you need to do. And then just wait for death. Yeah. And so we've settled for that. Whereas, again, this discussion, people like yourself, just out there doing it for their own reasons, feeling that enthusiasm, because that really is it. You can tell the difference between somebody who is on a soapbox trying to convert people because 
they're insecure and safety in numbers versus somebody who's just living their own life without any need to convert anyone to anything whatsoever. <laughs> but they have such a bigger impact because of that. I've said it before that the people we, re we respect are the people who don't need our respect. Yeah. It's actually funny because I've had people, um, I'll go on lives and I've had people sometimes like get mad at me, like, you don't even believe in your own opinions. And I'm like, you're right. I don't. I don't believe any of the bullshit I tell myself. <laughs> you're getting the idea here because it's like life is, no one has it figured out. Life's a trip and it's an amazing trip and it's fun to explore it and it's fun to kind of um, grapple with a lot of these concepts. And uh, the way that I've come to kind of realize it is like all of us have this need for certainty. Some of us have it a lot more than others. Um, and I think that's where, like, to me, like, that's part of the subconscious mind, this need of like certainty and safety. And then there's another part of us, some can call it our soul, some can refer to it as our higher self, or you can just refer to it as like your awareness. Um, and it wants expansion, it wants growth, it wants play, it wants to push those boundaries. And I think that the dynamic between those two sides of us is what life is about. You know, this like interplay of, oh, I really want to be safe and I just want to be inside and just chill and watch Netflix and eat ice cream. Like all of us kind of have that. But then there's another part that's like, I want to take risks and I want to see what I can do and play form in this life and create this and say this in front of a group of people and not care. Like, there is these, you know, this other aspect of being a human. And I think that a lot of times when I meet people who are struggling with depression, it's because they've been trying so hard and for so long to get certainty and it's to no fault of their own. You know, a lot of times trauma has happened and a need hasn't been met. And, you know, if you, you don't really take those risks and kind of just like get to a point in your life. And I th this is why I think depression can be kind of great. Is like, you get to a point in your life where you're like, I got nothing to lose. I'm going to blow this all to the ground. And then you're like, this shit's fun acting a little crazy and <laughs> taking some risks. And then it's, it can be the most liberating thing. And then your pain is just this luminous teaching. Definitely. Yeah. I think with that other side you're talking about you know the awareness soul you know the the truth of what we are at the end of the day i think it wants to be free yes and the other side wants to be certain and you can't be both and you know in order to be free you have to be uncertain in order to be willing to take those risks in order to step without knowing where you're going to land that's uncertainty right there freedom is uncertainty uncertainty is freedom certainty is a comfortable self-created prison and it's it's only reinforced by you know clinging to fictions clinging to beliefs whether it's you know about what happens after you die whether it's about yourself whether it's about the way the world is any of those things and we we rely on that certainty to help soothe our fear but you know it's always creating it at the same time and and the reality is that everything beyond this moment is totally uncertain everything is uncertain and always has been, and you've always been uncertain. So it's always a false sense of certainty. There's never true certainty, but clinging to it creates a friction with reality, which is uncertain. 
And as you create that friction with reality, suffering arises because you have an idea of how you want things to be. Then there's the way things are. And that gap is suffering. So it's, it's, you know, I love talking about this stuff because it's all so fucking connected, but yeah, I liked how you put that, that there's one side that desires certainty and, and one side that essentially desires uncertainty being freedom. And once we let go and, and recognize more clearly that certainty isn't actually a thing that exists and it's like, all right, well then why not just go all in on this uncertainty side of it and, and sort of relax into that and become comfortable with it. And there's no longer so much resistance. Yeah. And a lot of times what people need though, and I think it's just like not to get, I love philosophical stuff, but I think that um, one component that a lot of times people need is to soothe their nervous system before they can get there. Like if you've been in fight or flight for years, it's really hard to get to that point. So a lot of times it's like, you need to do some kind of inner work with a therapist, psychedelic therapy, or, you know, like ketamine is legal in California. I did ketamine therapy with like a psychiatrist and that was extremely illuminating because ketamine is a very interesting substance in that it lets you revisit your trauma and rewrite the meaning and put new meaning to it. And, um, I think it, I also did like somatic experiencing, like that kind of energy work and healing of the nervous system. I don't know if I would have been able to kind of get to the place of like true transformation without doing some of that work. That's fair. Uh, another thing that our previous guest Cam had shared with us was of course terpenes, smells and, and essential oils, things like that. They can also draw you a little bit more to the present. They can help you get a little bit out of, out of your thought processes and out of the habitual mechanism that is our, our subconscious. It dawned on me that while we were talking, it dawned on me that what I often think of is just the filter, because that's how I refer to it when I'm talking to people. You can see that there's a filter that everything you say has to go through before it finally hits the person behind the filter. And depending on how thick that filter is, you know how much is getting through, right? And, and so that's really, that's our subconscious. And our subconscious is, is, is more interwoven by our overcommitment to control over the long term, our habitual reactions based on that overcommitment to control. So much to the point where I made a video uh, a long time ago, but I reposted it recently talking about how Jesus sees God or saw God and that Jesus essentially recognized that there is no God, that the concept of God is the problem, that we are all God, that the division isn't actually a thing, that this is all unity. And it was a good video. I thought it was well laid out. It's about 56 seconds long. Somebody left a comment. They hadn't made it past the 10 second mark when I said, and Jesus recognized that there is no God. They couldn't, they couldn't take in any more after that sentence. I mean, what are you, you're saying there's no God? Is that what you're saying? Better stand up for yourself. You better explain your point. It's like, you're not even understanding the video. Why would I argue against your, your scrambling attempt to try and pad your insecurity? Because that's all you're doing. You're just looking for somebody to vilify. You're just looking for something to judge. There's nothing there about clearly understanding the point. Because if there was, he'd actually have a deeper recognition of the concept that he's been holding on to forever. And he would start to see something else, but we don't want to do that. I'm comfortable. This is what I want. And so I made a video today saying something along the lines of getting angry at, at others for questioning your belief does nothing to save you from the consequence that that belief creates. Because that's the anger. You're witnessing it. Yeah. Just pay attention. Amazing. <laughs> 
That's great. I'm curious, do either one of you have, have you ever had a situation where you created content and then based on the reaction it got, you were kind of like, oh, maybe I should take this down or you have? Um, yes. And, and I, I knew it, it would get that kind of response when I made it. I decided to make a TikTok video wherein the only thing that was on the screen was a Bible. And then my okay. hand very slowly came onto the screen and ripped a page out of the Bible <laughs> very, very, very slowly. And that was the end of the video. Um, oh. So that didn't go very well. I, I ended up getting a bunch of reports. And so I, I, I ended up taking it down. Ballsy That's, move. That's a ballsy move. That's so crazy that that gets reported. Like, yeah. oh my God. Yeah, there's so much to talk about even even there in getting reported but um yeah i've had i've had some stuff that i have a lot of stuff that like gets people angry especially when i talk about religion and whatnot um but i've even had some yeah that people just they come at it from a perspective like even a video i had that did went very viral and it talking about it was basically the recognition i had that like you know woke me up with being that i I don't actually have a past. The truth of what I am doesn't have a past. Andrew has a past. And that's really all Andrew is, is this past, is, is all the things I've, I've done, accomplished, trauma I've been through, experiences that I've had, et cetera, is Andrew. But I've only ever been right now. I've only ever been the awareness of reality here and now. So like, I don't actually have a past. Andrew has a past, but that's not the truth of what I am. That's just a story that I tell myself that I've identified as for so long. And so like, I, I posted a video, like, imagine if you had no past and, you know, like feel it, you know, whatever I said, like, this is the truth of what you are, blah, blah, blah. And, and it, it gets a lot of people fired up, especially people yeah. who have experienced, um, PTSD and, and have all of these things that, you know, a lot of them are people who suffer and are suffering and they admit that. And it's like, because. I find that oftentimes people see their suffering as like a badge of honor. They see it as a way because the ego always wants to be, you know, more than others, even if that's more suffering, it's not always, you know, more money, more fame, more, you know, love in their life, you know, whatever, seeing them as above other people. It's like, you can also be above other people as having more suffering. So when I said, imagine you had no past, all of a sudden the thing that brings them up above other people is having more suffering didn't exist for a moment and that gets them fired up because mm. they see me as taking that away from them. But it's the thing that's, you know, causing all their suffering is the thing that they're holding on to. And so, yeah, I also had one once that was, uh, imagine like, or what if I told you anxiety isn't bad and that got people fired up. And it wasn't like, I, I didn't mean it in a way that like anxiety isn't a tough thing to go through. I meant like, what if you stopped labeling those feelings as a bad thing right. what if you stop resisting them so much essentially but yeah there was a ton of stitches what was like, the you know, comments that people left that upset them about that uh it was it was sort of the same type of stuff as the other video is like they're holding on to that and they see themselves as someone who has an anxiety disorder or you know takes medication for that their anxiety and so me saying anxiety isn't bad is like me standing up here and and they saw me as just like oh some dude you've clearly never experienced anxiety because if you did you wouldn't say it's not bad and it, i wasn't saying that the experience of it 
couldn't be, you know, very uncomfortable, et cetera. But as we label things as bad, we resist them. As we resist them, they stick around. What if you stop labeling them as bad? What if you just allowed them to be, saw them for, for what they are, allowed them to sit there and just feel them without all of the labels? All of a sudden that, you know, you wouldn't be keeping it around so much through your resistance. That's what I was saying. But, you know, people, you know, on TikTok's a, TikTok's a wild fucking place. So you never really know where people are going to go with things. But yeah, those are two examples I've had. And then, you know, probably like 20 religion God videos too. <laughs> It's interesting that people get uh, upset because both of those videos, the one thing that they had in common is you kind of just invited people to use their imagination. You didn't say anxiety isn't bad. You're like, why don't you play with the idea? Like, what if use your imagination and just play in this possibility? And the funny thing is, no matter what the what if or imagine this scenario thing is, if you're not willing to go there, Kind of you're really limiting your life experience like yeah let's play in this imaginative realm it's like that's what children do all the time maybe you should do it a little bit more and that's also why i love hypnosis it's like hypnosis is just playing with imagination exactly exactly and that's that's very much the point is really getting in touch with how vast and powerful your mind can be yeah. when you treat it with respect when you understand how powerful it is but we don't I, I used to say that we use our minds with almost no understanding of how much damage they can create and it's like we're walking around with a chainsaw trying to do everything with it like butter our bread and cut trees it's like you wonder why you're creating chaos like this is yeah. this is a tool that if you don't respect if you don't have some degree of sensitivity it's going to hurt you and it's going to hurt other people and, and that is what we have to understand like and it's so true that it's actually what you were saying about uh, it being TikTok in terms of the audience on TikTok being re reactive or more reactive than most, I'm going to disagree. And it's just because I've talked to a lot of people. People are that reactive to your face. Like if you threaten anything that they hold on to as a, as a source of false security or a source of false value, they, they will react. They'll get upset. You can hear it in their tone. It's not about the words. It's about where the words are coming from, yeah. right? The difference is online. They don't have to actually use their tone. They don't actually have to face you. So they can write whatever they want without any repercussions whatsoever. So it's very much easier for them to maintain that negativity. Whereas if they were to do it to your face, you might challenge them, right? And that's again, a threat. So this is actually one of the reasons that Andrew and I have been talking about opening up another segment here on Dualistic Unity, specifically for live debates in real time where people can call in voice their their point of view and we can go back and forth about what it really means and what they might be holding on to or what we're holding on to to really try try and find that middle ground i think that in real time that would be a really good example of how to communicate without necessarily always needing to feel either right or valuable or to get to a certain end result you know the, the point is the communication itself i also wanted to uh, touch upon something we were talking about before in terms of identity because um, the thing that I find very interesting about identity is it is harmful, but you can also use identity and your view of your own identity to really drive change. Like one of the most effective ways to get somebody to change their behavior is to change their identity. So for example, like 
part of my identity is that I'm a healthy person. I feel good in my body. I feel strong in my body. Um, and because that identity is like probably one of the most salient parts of my identity, eating well is just not even like, it's just so second nature for me to want to pick up fruits and vegetables and foods that are nourishing and, you know, and exercising is just like not a question because that's part of my identity. And if someone's identity is, they did an amazing study, I think it was out of England where they wanted to get people to vote more. And so that what they did is they ran campaigns of, I am a voter, like change, get, getting people to adopt the identity instead of just getting them like, oh, if you vote, we'll do this. It's like, you are a voter. That is your identity in that drove change. And even when you talk to people who are, who, I just said it, but people who smoke, they call themselves smokers. Like you are a smoker. Okay. Well, yeah, you're going to keep smoking if that's part of your identity. But it's kind of like interesting because sometimes I feel like hypnosis can be like kind of like witchcraft, like, you know, like you can use it for evil. Like there's these things that like you're reinforcing identity in people. And so it's, it's like slippery slope, like, okay, we're going to use identity to get you to change your behavior, but at the same time, don't get attached to that identity that we're changing in you. So it's all just so fascinating. Absolutely. Well, I mean, even just the identity of, of being a healthy eater or being a healthy person can work against you in a situation where maybe there's something in front of you that's tasty and not necessarily great for you, but you're in a social situation and you can let down your hair as it were and just, and just have it. But if you really cling to that identity, no, 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 I never do that. I never touch any of that. And, and you might be missing out on an experience. I mean, nothing says that you can't find um, a balance between the two, but if we cling to one side, it makes it so much harder for us to do. I do think a healthy person indulges in sweets though. See, then that helps. <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah. It's all about that balance. And yeah, I'm, I'm absolutely with that with, when it comes to food, like I enjoy eating things I enjoy eating, but I also find the balance, whether it's in the thing that I'm eating, like making something that I really enjoy and like making it a little bit healthier, like a healthier version of it, or just, you know, having stuff that's super healthy on its own and then stuff that's not as healthy. And, and I think having that balance is health, healthy, you know, overall. And, and, when we think of healthy, it's like, there's so many aspects of it that come into play and, you know, balance is a massive aspect of that. And stress is a massive aspect of that. And so I, I brought this up a couple, uh, I don't know, maybe five or 10 episodes ago, but I was listening to another podcast of two guys talking about seed oils and how they avoid seed oils at all costs. Like it's becoming, I don't know, more of a, uh, I don't know if it's a fad or like a mainstream thing or, or whatever it may be, but a lot of people are super anti seed oils. And then they were talking about it and they're like, do you avoid it? Like do you at a restaurant, do you ask if, you know, it has seed oils? And one of them was like, I mean, no, I don't, I don't go that far. And, and then one of them brought up a good point of, of stress. And he was like, yeah, as much as like, I think I, I avoid it when I can at the same time, I don't let it overtake me to the point where I'm like stressing about whether the meal I eat when I'm out at a restaurant has seed oil or doesn't have seed oil because above anything else, stress is probably one of the least healthy things for us. So getting stressed about, you know, whether you're eating seed oil or whether, you know, you're following the gym regimen that you've decided to 
settle on or, or do, or, you know, whether it's, you want to walk more, whether you start getting stressed about whether you're walking enough or, or whether you're stressed about whether you're eating enough healthy food or anything that creates that sort of stress, that stress is always going to be worse for you than the thing you're trying to avoid doing at the end of the day. So like that comes into play a lot of times for me as well, when I start getting too worked up and like, so I'll build in certain, you know, days where I allow myself some, some more leeway, or if I know that I I'm going away with friends for a weekend, like maybe like throughout that week, I'll eat more healthy than I usually do to counteract all the shit I'm going to eat over the weekend. You know, it's, it's finding like, and, and it works differently for different people. Sometimes throughout the day, people like to balance the hell. Sometimes throughout the week, people like to balance things out. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it always comes down to the thing that works best for you because we're all very unique and different things work better for for different people. There is no objective right way ever. And it changes over time, right? Like that's the thing is what you consider balance today is going to be totally different than what you'll consider balance in a year because we're always changing, right? Like at one point I used to think that a certain schedule that I had in terms of like exercise and, and socializing and work and all that was balanced. Now that I'm older, I wouldn't consider that balanced at all, but it was based on my perceived needs at the time, based on the confusion that I was still caught in, based on how I identified. It all seemed like balance and, and it was to the best of my ability, balance at that time. But later on, if I were to look back and go, that was balance and not adjust for my new life, I would be totally imbalanced. I'd be once again, relying on that previous reaction as opposed to a genuine action in the moment. Yes. You know, it's really interesting also because like this concept of balance reminds me a lot of wholeness and the concept also of stress. I don't know. I, because I, I have clients a lot of times come to me and they're like, oh, I want to be less stressed. I'm like, well, you know, stress isn't a bad thing. It's again, your reaction and your meaning to stress. And there was one client, I sent him all these like academic papers. <laughs> Because I was really trying to back it up and I never heard from him again. I'm like, okay, I, that, that actually taught me a lot. I realized like I'm trying to push my own agenda on this person, <laughs> which was like, it's okay to be stressed. Stress creates change. Stress creates, um, you know, like a cascade of certain chemicals that need to be deployed like cortisol and, you know, but that makes you more vigilant. And that makes you drive to take action more. Like if you're like too chilled out, sometimes you're not taking any action. Like a little stress is a good thing. Um, And there's been so many studies that it's actually like really our interpretation of the stress that drives it. So it's like, oh, I'm stressed. Stress is so bad. Stress is going to kill me. It's like, it's it's almost like that's where um, that placebo effect comes in again. It's not just what's happening. It's the meaning that you ascribe to what is happening that's ultimately going to determine your fate and how these things also like how long they linger, right? It's a chronic stress that's bad. And as Andrew mentioned before, like what you resist persists, but if you, if you recognize all these things as what they are, which is just energy, right? Like that stress that you're feeling, that's just energy that needs to move through the body. And how are you going to allow for that feeling and everything that's happening in your body, how are you going to allow for it to move through you instead of trapping it inside? Absolutely. I tend to refer to it as the full body clench because that's what it feels oh. like. All of a sudden, it's just like you're clenching through life. You're trying to put up your shields. You're, you're getting prepared for that impact. And it's the last thing that's going to help you. 
right. being more fluid through the impact or, or not assuming it's going to be an impact is going to allow you to be much more influential as it's happening or as you're going through that experience. But we make assumptions and we, ba- we make those assumptions often based on how we see ourselves. If I don't have faith in my ability to adapt, I assume everything is scary. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. That's why I always also encourage uh, clients when they're feeling those things to describe it. Okay. You feel stress. Where do you feel it in your body? You know, once you start doing that, you actually activate different parts of your brain. You're like bringing in like your prefrontal cortex and you're like able to really work with that emotion. Like, okay, when I feel stressed, I feel it in my arms and you know, like it's so cliche, but it's so true. Like in order to heal it, you have to feel it. So the first step in all this stuff is like, feel it, have a different relationship with it, invite it, invite it to really embody you. And then you got to feel it. And you also have to reveal it. You got to talk about it. You got to share it. And that's where I think, and, and like what we were talking about before, in terms of, um, I do believe everyone is good. I think that the only times people aren't is when they're living from a place of fear or lack. And I think that's why healing happens in empathetic relationships. That's why therapy works because we are biologically wired to have connection with each other. That we need that connection. And that's why it's so important. If you're going through something tough, it's just so amazing how sharing it with somebody who just holds space for you allows you to heal yourself. I mean, it's kind of incredible how, what hypnosis is people will come out and be like, that was incredible. And I'm like, that was you. I didn't do any, that was all you using your imagine doing all that. It, yeah. You are incredible. That was all you, baby. You just nailed the reason that I, I, lowered my life coaching prices repeatedly throughout my entire time as a life coach because it really is them. like you almost feel like I'm almost unnecessary like it's not that I'm not necessary but I'm not really doing the work here and if I am then you're getting less out of it that, that's one of the reasons that I used to always offer an hour and a half consultation for every client that was lower than my hourly rate because that first session they're doing all the heavy lifting. They're the ones telling you everything about their narrative. They're the ones going through all the process of trying to, to paint a big picture that they normally don't take to paint for themselves. And at that point, it's easy to see what's happening. At that point, it's like, ah, I see what you just said you thought you were and what consequence it's causing for you. But you know, the rest of the time, when they're not painting you that picture, sometimes you're just trying to you know, reach for the pieces. You're trying to figure out like, okay, what is it you're, you're trying to tell me here? And it's nice when they do tell you who they think they are, because you can see very clearly that the consequence comes from that. Yeah. Rates are such a weird thing, by the way. <laughs> I really have like a hard time with it. I'm like, uh... and at the end, it's just like, you only have so many hours in the day. Like it's really arbitrary. I think about that all the time. It's like, just cause we're paying more. It's not like that person might have like other side hustles or <laughs> taking up a lot of their time and they can only open five slots and they're, yeah, it's just, it's so bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find too, like, Ray, like we were just saying with the initial sort of consultation or, or just the first call, when people start talking about their situation, there's so many assumptions about who and what they are. And that's all it, that's all it is. It's like when they go through, they talk for, you know, 10 minutes or whatever it may be. And they're like, 
yeah, you know, I've been going through this because I'm this type of person. I, because I'm this, because I'm that, because I'm this, because I'm that. And it's like, all it ever is, is recognizing that you're not those things. And once you peel back, like those are all the layers. And once you peel back all the layers, you see that you're as whole and complete as you could ever possibly be. Like you're always, you're always that wholeness and completeness. We don't have to, I don't have to tell you something to add things to yourself to become more. It's just, you just said a bunch of shit that isn't actually true, but you assume that it's true. So let's just talk through that and, and work on that. Because once you let go of those beliefs, those limiting beliefs, and there's so many avenues of doing that, be it questioning it, being talking through it, being hypnosis, like they're all avenues to recognizing the truth of what you are and, and that you are always whole and complete. And, and all of those beliefs aren't actually, aren't actually true. And I wanted to go back, um, to the stress conversation real quick. Uh, cause I had some other thoughts about it. And I think, I think question, like, I think stress can be a very helpful tool, uh, like we were saying Farah. And I think there's also two types of stress. Like there's the sort of self-inflicted stress that is from like, you know, working out or striving for something that, that can be very helpful, you know, like building muscle, you have to work your muscle and like lift more weight in order to grow the muscle. You can't not experience stress. You can't not experience that like self-inflicted hardship in order to improve. You can't not experience that in order to, you know, do whatever you want to do. And it's the same with sort of any type of growth, not just muscular growth, but any human growth with it. And I think experiencing stress, like, you know, the other type of stress that comes from, you know, wishing things were different than they are wishing you were somewhere else than where you are right now, being able to look at that and, and question it and ask why, why do I feel stressed right now? Like, what am I trying to get to? What, what do I think about myself? That isn't like, what thoughts do I have about myself that I don't feel like I can just be here? Like, why do I think I have to be there? Why do I think I have to accomplish this? And that type of stress I think is, is beneficial in the sense of being able to look at it and, and let go of it and recognizing the, the holes you feel like you have within yourself. And then once you see that more clearly, you can begin to let them go. So it's, it's being able to utilize that stress in a way of, of noticing the things it's kind of like, you know, when you're younger and you put your hand on the stove and it hurts, that pain is beneficial. If you didn't, if you didn't experience the pain, you'd, you'd burn your finger to a, to the bone. So that pain is, is beneficial in the way that it, it prevents you from doing it again. It's sort of, that's how I think of that stress. The benefits of, of that stress that isn't the necessary stress is to see, you know, the things you don't think are complete about yourself because you want to get somewhere else because you don't think you're whole right now. So you think you have to get to that place. You think you have to do that thing. And that's creating the stress within you. So you can let go of that and there isn't as much stress. And then you can, you know, still strive because you can, but not because you have to, to make yourself more complete. Yeah. I think it always comes back to this idea of surrender. You just have to surrender to what is, because it's the tension of, you know, some people, I get it. Like you have a bunch of kids, you just lost your job. You're going to be stressed about certain things, but you have to accept the things that you <laughs> cannot change, have the courage to change the things that you can and the wisdom to know the difference. I mean, there really is so much 
in just that concept of like the, the serenity prayer that I just said. And it's just like, you got to surrender to what is. That doesn't mean that you can't change the situation. You can do everything, you know, like by no means to, is this ever like preaching, like just accept it. It, it. It's like, no, you accept it for the reality of what is. Okay, you're in a tough situation right now. It's hard, it's hard. And you can do everything you can to make it better. But in the meantime, you have to surrender to that's the reality right now. And you don't have to beat yourself up over it or, you know, um, get really upset about why did this happen to me? And why is it like this? And all that's going to do, like, that's just needless suffering. And that's the difference between suffering and pain. Yeah. I'm immediately reminded of uh, wildlife or, or, or a deer, uh, a deer is always paying attention. If there's a sound or, or something like that, the stress level is right there. Like they are very much aware that anything could, could happen right now and they're on full alert. Up until that point though, they're totally in the moment they're having. They're totally relaxed. They're making the most of the experience that they have. They're not sitting there going, God, what if a, what if a noise happens? Yeah, yeah, right. It's when the noise happens that they immediately are in, 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 in the experience of that noise, in the reaction to that noise. But up until that point, they're not sitting there worrying about the future. They're not sitting, they're taking advantage of the moment that they're in. They haven't removed themselves from it. And that's exactly within our ability. We have the ability to respond when necessary and to use our stress and to use our tension, to use everything we learn from that. But we carry it with us the rest of the time because of the narrative. That's all it is. We just yes. carry our narrative with us. And so all of that stress remains to the point where we actually have to go and find ways to unwind. And sometimes we do it through substances and those ultimately are just short-term uh, solutions. But if we start to recognize, oh, right, right. The tension is actually in, in how tightly I'm holding on to this idea of myself, mm -hmm. right? Then the process becomes pretty obvious. I have to let that go. I have to let go of these knots of this, this concept that I have of myself, which is often even intertwined with the knots that we have in our own physical body from the injuries mm -hmm. and, and, and whatnot, just through times when we weren't paying attention because we were so lost in our ego. It's funny because um, I love the I love the wildlife thing because have you seen that one video? I, I, it might have been a deer. It's probably not, but um, who's being hunted and it's like playing dead, and then it starts. Oh, I'll have to send it to you. But the point is that what do all animals do, including my dog Munchie, after a stressful situation? Like let's say after I tell her I'm going to eat her and she's just like, oh, getting upset. She shakes it off. And she goes about her day. You just literally animals just shake it off and they don't think about it anymore. And I think that that was actually one of the most healing things about a somatic experiencing is when you start to learn to feel into your body and you learn how to emotionally regulate, you learn what you need to do to let that feeling just like feel it and let it go. Oh yeah. I've, I've experienced that. Like I still get angry from time to time and, and worked up about things. But when I was younger, I got angry all the time. And like, I was super emotional about things. And one thing that, you know, getting more into meditation and, and recognizing that there's, there's a feeling, there's the thoughts about the feeling that I have. And then there's the ability to kind of like watch all of it. And, and in that recognition that I'm just observing it and I'm not them that I can sort of shift what I'm doing because I, I can remember very clearly when I was younger and anger would like come over me. It's like, there was, there was no me in there anymore. Like 
it was off. I don't know what was going to happen, but probably wasn't going to end up super great. And it's like, because there wasn't that recognition that there's like an awareness of the situation of the feelings that we're going through. And so I, I find it very interesting to be able to talk about it now. And even still now, like I'll still get worked up about certain things, talking about pe to people about certain things. And like, I'm, I'm much better about letting it go, but I can still in the moment, like there almost is sometimes when you get so caught up in a feeling in an emotion, like we'll just stick with anger for now. There's like, I think it's maybe the ego thinking that if you let it go now and just kind of leave it be that you become less, that you're less because you're not following through with it. But there's a point, you know, in there when you're aware of it, where like, you know, what may be halfway through that experience of like rage and anger, you can let it go in the middle. And it's like, it's almost not a great feeling to let it go immediately because there's still that carryover of the feeling. And then there's like the egoic thoughts about, oh, I'm letting this go. I'm letting this person win. I'm losing now. I'm less now. And it's fascinating to be able to see that now, but then to be able to let it go because it always then, you know, you let it settle, you know, you go on a walk or you take some deep breaths or whatever you got to do. Those are some things I do. Um, and then, you know, 10 minutes later, it's like, wow, all right, I can do that. That is an option. I, I used to not even be able to see that as an option, but, you know, letting go of that identity that's always, you know, the ego self not attaching so closely to it. It's like, there isn't anything that can bring you down, even the letting go of that feeling in the moment. So there's a lot of, I don't know. I don't like the word power in that, but I, sort of, I guess a lessening of there's a lack of power given to the ego in that sort of. Absolutely. It's interesting though. Cause like even the letting go, it, you can't force the letting go. Cause like, if there is any residual thing after letting go, it means you didn't let it go. So like with anger, I notice like when I have it, I'll, I'll first be like, Ooh, okay. I'm feeling something here. What is that? You know, like really lean into it. And I mean, I, I don't do this with most people, but like I, me and my husband are really close. I can tell him like, Oh, I'm starting to feel the sensation of anger <laughs> and like really, you know, and then I'll be able to let it go more. Cause it's like, Okay, why am I feeling it? I'm feeling it because you just said something that activated in me feelings of unworthiness. And because feelings of unworthiness have been activated, there's part of me that wants to feel enraged, like my ego, because my ego doesn't want to feel unworthy. You know, so it's like when you kind of, again, it's really, I think really the, the only way to let it go is really just a natural byproduct of fully surrendering it to it. Just being like, all right, baby, you're here and I'm here with you and show me what you're here to teach me. Show me what you got, what's going on. Because it's in those moments, especially anger. Ooh, anger is such a good one because if you learn to get activated, to let that anger activate inside of you and get curious about it, you will be pointed directly to where you are not free. You will be pointed directly to the place that you need to do the work. And that's awesome. You don't get that many opportunities for that. So it's like when somebody triggers you, it's like, oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you for pointing me to where I need to do some more work. I wasn't even aware of that.
Yeah, straight up. Absolutely. And, and anger, although it is destructive, does have a lot of momentum. There is a lot of energy yeah. in, in anger. I know for me, anger was for years, my default low point after I got out of depression and, and desire and fear and, and, and all of that, most of the time I was just great. But as soon as I started judging myself, as soon as I started falling back into the narrative where I started you know, going back through the, the old habitual perceptions of who I was and what I was in my life and all that, I'd recognize it and I'd get angry. Right? What the fuck am I doing? Why am I doing this again? Yeah. And that anger immediately transformed into a little bit of pride as we've talked about power versus force, the, the chart there, because it's like, aha, I didn't let myself fall down. But then you can't hold on to that. You can't keep maintaining like, aha, I didn't let myself fall down because that's as far as you'll get. You eventually have to just let that go too, right? This is just life, continue on as best you can. And the more you do that, the more courage and acceptance and all that becomes your default rather than anger. But that anger can be hugely helpful. I, mo I know it was a big motivator for me when I was dealing with uh, phobias in terms of social communication, when I was worried about talking to somebody for the first time or even approaching a girl in my teenage years. I'd sit there and be nervous. And I finally go, fuck, fuck it. What's wrong with you? Move. And then I'd, I'd make myself go and do it because that gave me that momentum. Hmm. But after a while, you start to realize it's a terrible way to push yourself. There's a lot of stress that goes with that. And there's a lot of self-judgment. There's a lot of assumptions about everything else. And so there are other mentalities that do have more momentum, but at least anger stops you from dropping to fear and apathy and, and all of that other stuff. So it can be very useful as long as it doesn't become an attachment. What do you both like get angry about? What are some of your, what's your biggest uh, anger trigger activator? Get um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, recently I had a discussion, not going to name names, someone close to me about, um, it was about the uh, college debt getting remittance. And they're talking about how, you know, handouts are the the main issue with our society. Like it's the main thing wrong with with society. And I was like, what the fuck did you just say? You think that's the worst thing? The biggest issue with all of our society is people want handouts. You don't think that believing in made up bullshit in the sky is could be an issue. You don't think that believing that you are what you think you are could be a big issue. You don't think believing that your value is derived from anything outside of yourself could be a massive issue that by having more money and doing more things and getting more and, and being seen as more in the eyes of the world could be a bigger issue than that. And I was getting like the people around were like, Andrew, you want to keep <laughs> breaths here. But at the same time, you know, without that anger, I may have, you know, like Ray was just saying, like dropped a fear and not, been willing there was a point probably in my life where i wouldn't have stood up and said anything and potentially caused some ripples in out there like i wouldn't have said anything because i would have been afraid of causing ripples or being seen in a certain way it's like i don't give a fuck how you see me anymore i'm not gonna fall into one narrative or the other or, or any sort of narrative i'm not gonna follow that and there's gonna be things that you know you know, just talking politically, for example, like that one side of the aisle is going to be like, yeah, we love this guy. And then they're going to be like, oh, fuck that guy. He thinks that too. And then the other side is going to be saying the same exact thing. Like, oh yeah, love that. And you're going to be like, oh no, fuck you. I, no, that's so wrong. You're so wrong. It's like, 
it's going to be on both sides. And I, I love that. Like when I post a video that pisses off everyone, I'm like, all right, I think I'm doing something right here. Um, but yeah. And then I kind of felt myself getting angry and it was like, in that situation, I'm like, who am I trying to prove anything to? And like, what am I really trying to do here? And is, is my anger really going to have as great of an impact as a more rational, like calmer conversation and, you know, who really knows at the end of the day, but I think allowing yourself, that's another thing too, is like allowing yourself to get worked up about things because there's nothing wrong with that either. But then it's like allowing yourself to do it allows you to also see that there are other options too. But as long as you constrict yourself to like, oh, you should never get angry and you should do this. Like you don't, there isn't this plethora of, you know, infinite potentials in every single moment. But as you recognize that there are infinite potentials, that everything is permitted, you can get angry, see some consequences there, and then let go of that, not attach yourself to being an angry person or feel ashamed for getting angry and then make shifts even immediately or, you know, next time around and see like, oh, you know, I got worked up. I was getting caught up in, in myself is trying to prove something to someone else and seeing this, you know, division, like maybe I can come at it from a little bit more, a little calmer perspective moving forward. But, you know, that's just something recently, but there's probably a lot of other things if I thought about it for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I hear you on that one. Uh, for me, it's, it's, it, it has maintained for the last 20 years. It, it's those who benefit themselves by peddling disempowerment as empowerment. So those who preach yeah. unity, but, but peddle division it, that still irks me um, where once it used to make me very angry, I realized that that actually makes the conversation even harder to have in the face of, of that kind of person. And so over time, I've just become more serious. And I don't mean like rigid in, in being serious, but I would stick to the unarguable. I wouldn't stick to my opinions. I wouldn't try to defend anything necessarily as always just trying get down to brass tacks in the conversation. And I found that really helped. And then it didn't necessarily make me feel any better, but at least I wasn't angry. At least I was still dealing with it. I was a little bit irked, but I was treating it with more seriousness than anything else. And then after that, I started learning that taking that and applying a little bit of empathy, <laughs> remembering I was lost. I was super, super confident about knowing very, very little at one point in my life. Um, and you suddenly realize that, okay, you can be serious and still recognize where the other person's coming from and let go of this need to change their mind, let go of this need to make them understand. Every, every conversation is an opportunity for me to further my understanding, not necessarily of the, what we're talking about, but even of the person I'm talking to or the act of communication in itself. And so I guess over time, I've learned to get a little less angry about that it still irks me because I hate to see people being injured by others who are themselves injured and have learned to make a profit mm. off of being injured um, but that that's really it and, and again I think that's tempering with empathy as I get a little bit older how about you what what is your pet peeve hmm. I don't know I I was kind of curious because I am somebody that is a little cut off from my anger sometimes. And I think that's why when I do feel it, I'm like, ooh, all right, what's going on here? Um, mine's a little bit more ego. You guys both, I could say like, oh, abortion stuff. Oh, that gets me, which is true. But I think that um, like 
an ego way that I'm kind of ashamed of when it does happen that I get angry about it is when somebody doesn't see me. Like if I'm in a relationship with somebody and they like, they just don't, and I'm not talking about like romantic relationship, like it could be like my sibling or like anyone. And I feel like there's somebody that, that are really close to me and they don't see me or understand where I'm coming from. Like that sometimes will like activate that feeling of anger. But I think my go-to like core wound um, is unworthiness. That's That's currently the thing that I'm like, kind of sometimes like it'll come up and I'll just be like, oh shit, you're still there. <laughs> I thought I worked on you, you know? And I, like I told Ray the last time I was talking to him, I'm like, sometimes I like just, I have to tell my unworthiness, like fuck off. Like I, you've been around for so long. I know what you have to say. I get it. I'm not good enough. <laughs> I'm never going to amount to anything, but yeah. I can, I can resonate with the uh, not feeling heard. It was something I dealt with pretty early on in, in my relationship with my wife because I was working through a lot of stuff, but I didn't have the podcast and I didn't have anybody in my social circle to, to go through all this stuff that's kicking around inside my awareness. And so I was just trying to get it out as often as I could. My poor wife, she had to shoulder the responsibility of being my sounding board for years. And it, it was just, it was just so much in there. And I felt like I, I didn't have an opportunity to really get it out and process it and whatnot. And so of course, I was completely self-absorbed thinking about my own needs and needing to get it out and needing to express and needing to do all that to the point where I think it was almost one o'clock in the morning and my wife is getting ready to go to bed. She's bagged. She's completely tired. She's, she's getting into bed and I'm still, I'm still talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. And oddly enough, I'm talking about how I'm dealing with this emotion that I don't feel like she necessarily hears me or treats what I'm talking about with the same importance that I do. And what was funny was it was at that moment that she fell asleep. That was it. Like she just fell asleep as I was pouring out my heart about not being heard. And I remember very clearly going, shit. <laughs> so I had to take it in like, why is this ups upsetting to me? Because obviously she's tired. Obviously, you know, showing some empathy, I would recognize that this isn't the time or place to try and get this across. So why, where is this need coming from? And it really made me recognize that I had a need to be heard. Yeah, I had a need to be heard because it would validate what I was talking about. And that was the thing I needed to get over. It doesn't matter if I'm heard. It doesn't matter if I don't tell anybody any of this stuff. What matters is that I get it. That's what matters, right? Because the people who can appreciate it, they'll appreciate it when they can. I can't expect everybody who comes into my sites to be open to whatever it is that I want to communicate. To do so is to focus sheerly on myself and my needs. Why do I need that so badly? identity and and that lack again so that was a big journey for me to let go of that over time but marriage is a hell of an exercise for it right i'm curious to know how dating goes when you're like going through this kind of stuff like for example you know how like most people they want somebody to kind of have the same religious views I could imagine like a first date, you're like, you do realize you're God, right? And if you don't realize you're God, this relationship is not going to work. You're like, oh. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't think that I need that necessarily, but I don't know if someone who clings very strongly to a belief system is going to want to stick around. 
for very long. And I have no issue with getting that out of the way very early, like even talking to people at the bar. And even uh, I had a situation this weekend. Uh, I was talking to a girl and she, we were talking for a while. And like I was with uh, my brother and sister, I was visiting. We we're in Chicago um, and we were just like out at a bar with like a bunch of my sister's friends and like my brother had a friend there and like we were all just hanging out and she kind of like got me. She recognized me from Instagram. And so she had seen me before and was like, I don't know, kind of followed me to the bathroom. Maybe I don't know exactly what happened, but I, you know, I, I, I was enjoying hanging out with everyone and we were talking for a while as being very nice and, and cordial and everything. And, and eventually it got to a point where, you know, the conversation was kind of like petering out. She was like, I don't know, wanting to leave or something. And I was not about to leave. And so I was like, you know, this has been a lot of fun. I don't know exactly what I said necessarily, but, it, and I gave her, you know, like a hug and she's like, don't ever do that again. I was like, what did I do? And she was like, that side hug. Don't do that. I was like, <laughs> what? And she was like, yeah, that's like so lame after, after we talked for all this time and now you're just going to do that. And I was like, Oh my God. And I said something, I was like, mind, like mind your perceptions. They oftentimes get in the way of your reality or something like that. And she was like, don't give me that bullshit right now. And I was like, what did you want me to do? Like, you just didn't want me to leave. I was going to leave one way or another. Yeah. Like, what did you want? How did you want me to leave? She was like, you're, I don't know. She called me something. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to go now. And then I walked away and it was like a very funny interaction. I'm glad I had the opportunity to bring this up because I meant to tell Ray this before, but it was very interesting and, and quite the experience. But yeah, it was like, I didn't really feel bad because it was just like, there was all of these expectations of like, what was going to, how this was going to end up. And it was just like, it's not how it's going. I'm sorry. But like, I didn't live up to your expectations, whatever they were. It's not my problem. And I'm not going to make it my problem. And then, you know, I moved on and had a great rest of my night. But um, so that's one example. But oftentimes I'll bring up all sorts of things and have no issue with, you know, talking about this type of stuff with people because sometimes people are super interested. And I've had great conversations with people, you know, specifically females at, at the bar about this stuff. And sometimes they're very closed off uh, because I, you know, as much as I talk about it here, like this is what I talk, I love talking about this stuff because it's, it encompasses everything. All of reality exists within these conversations. So it's like, yeah, you can talk about, you know, what the weather's like, or you can recognize that you are the weather. And I think that's a lot more fun. <laughs> so yeah, uh, it's fun. And I don't really hold back too much. And yeah, sometimes it works out great. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, if it, if it doesn't, it's, not going to probably work out after, you know, 10 dates anyway. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so important to get that stuff out of the way, like straight up. It really is because if you're, if yeah. you're, you know, cutting corners or if you're not being open and honest, right from the start, it's just going to come up later. This is why when I met Melissa and I've said many times, we argued every day, like every day she stormed out of my house or I kicked her out of my house for the first three months. And it was because we were willingly having the arguments. We were willingly going into the, into the miscommunications and into the, into the disagreements with the purpose of finding out who we were, yeah. right? That's what made the relationship work. But if I was tiptoeing around her or if she was tiptoeing around me, 
that wouldn't have happened. We would have ended up finding things years down the road that we had never addressed and never, never come to terms with because we were both too afraid to express it. And that's often the case. So yeah, be upfront, tell them straight up. This is why I used to introduce myself as God. It starts the conversation in a really fun way. Oh my gosh, you did not. For years, for <laughs> years, absolutely. To almost everyone, I would just shake their hand and say, hi, I'm God. And just see where the conversation went because it was the best way to, to, to start that conversation. It was the best way to catch their interest and let them know from the start, this is not going to go the way that you might expect. So I have another question. So if you truly believe, cause you know, like I, I'm not like fully on board with the way you guys think I'm like, I'm like 80% there. Um, and part of it is because I think that, you know, we can't see all spectrums of light. We can't hear all frequencies of noise. I think it's like really arrogant for us to think that we could possibly comprehend with our tiny little brains, everything that's going on. But, um, I mean, I'm open to the possibility. So when you have like a fight with someone, like let's say that, that um, girl at the bar, it, part of you does realize that you are her. So like, are you essentially fighting with yourself or not that fighting, but like when you told her the perceived thing, like do part yeah. of you kind of want be like, well, maybe I should have given myself a, a little bit of a different hug or like, you know what I mean? Like when you have these kinds of situations. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you, if we didn't, it would be harder to empathize. It would be more difficult to see ourselves in the other person. Now, recognizing that they are us doesn't mean that they're us, this body or, or, or how we identify or this collection of, of habits and perceptions and all of that, but that they have the same blank slate awareness with limitless potential that we did, that we all start with. Ah, gotcha. Okay. I think I've, I've been misinterpreting things a little bit. Okay, it's yeah, easy to do because it's a, it's a weird conversation, right? And we're, there's two things happening. There's what we think happening and then what's actually happening. And, and so what we're always trying to get across is that we perceive division. We perceive that I am separate from you because I hold on and I attach to all this, this narrative and this idea of myself. But the reality is that you and I are very much akin to cells in the body. We're not separate. We're part of the same thing. But the more I invest in that separation, the more I invest in that identity, the more difficult it is to see you, the more difficult it is to interact with you or empathize with you or anything like that. That's really all we're getting across is that we are all the same body. It's just that we get so caught up in that perception of a division that we create our own cancer. Yeah, I feel you. And then did both of you come to this conclusion through um, psychedelic experiences where you experienced ego death and then you're like, oh no, oh, okay. I can speak for myself there. Um, it kind of popped up over and over and over again, often uh, with near-death experiences or, or traumatic events, um, but I had no way to reconcile it until much later in my life when I did have a psychedelic experience. And then all of a sudden, all of the pieces that have been sitting there that I was unable to put together because I was so involved with what they meant about me just slammed together. And I, rec and I recognized for the first time, oh, wow, I'm carrying this idea with me. And it's the reason I keep suffering. It's the reason I keep dealing with my past is because I, how I perceive it and what it means about me. And it would just all fit together at once that I was never living for myself. And then after that, it became an active practice of every day questioning everything I thought I was because I knew it was the source of my conflict. I knew it was my devotion to that idea of myself that was making my life have the same repetitive consequences over and over and over again. So 
I'd say it was both. It was a mixture of life experiences and trauma and NDEs and then a psychedelic experience that kind of just kicked it all in, in the ass and, and set me on my journey. Incredible. Mine, uh, so like the initial recognition, I hadn't ever tried psychedelics or anything in that realm whatsoever. Um, I sort of recognize, I talked about it earlier in this episode, but basically was on a walk in New York. I was listening to it's actually one of Eckhart Tolle's books, uh, Stillness Speaks, it's called. And he was just talking about how the past doesn't actually exist. Like the past and future don't actually exist, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you know, something I had made videos about. This is only a year ago. And I'd been, I've been posting content for over two years now. And so it was something that I heard about, something that I talked about all the time, but I was able to see it in a different light and imagine for like a split second that I didn't have a past, that like I literally didn't have a past. It wasn't just this conceptual thing. It's like, oh yeah, I'm only ever experiencing right now. It's like, what if you literally had no past and you, everything just began right now? Like you were just the awareness of reality right now. That's all you are. And it was like the most freeing, liberating thing I ever felt because I was able to go a little bit farther with that and, and think for a second, okay, well, if I don't have a past and, you know, Andrew is just, you know, a collection of things that have happened in the past, maybe I'm not Andrew, maybe I'm just the awareness of, and I, I settled on sort of the awareness of Andrew for, I don't know, a couple months. And then as Ray and I started interacting more, I was able to sort of let down that, peel back that layer as well and recognize like, okay, well, if Andrew's just this made up idea, this made up concept that everyone sees in a different way, then if I'm just this awareness, maybe it's not just the awareness of Andrew. If there's no division between Andrew and the environment being all of reality, maybe I'm just the awareness of reality. Maybe I'm just reality experiencing itself. And if every one and everything else is just reality experiencing itself, then there's no actual division. There's the perception of division, the perception of difference between me and you, me and my environment, but it's only a perception. It's only a concept. It's only an idea that we hold on to. And then through, I think I tried psychedelics for the first time, like three months after that sort of, you know, waking up and that definitely helped peel back more and more and recognize more and more clearly that, oh, I'm definitely not any sort of idea that I ever cling to and beyond, you know, that those walls of identity, those walls of Andrew, if there are no walls, then there is no separation between myself and reality. There is no myself, but it's a tool. Again, it's a tool that we can utilize. It's very beneficial in conversation in interactions, all labels, you know, being able to say, I want to go meet under that tree, super beneficial as opposed to just, I want to meet over there, but like where over there? Well, that way you can't see exactly where I'm pointing. It's like, just say tree. It's like, that's super helpful, but it's not the truth of what it is. Right. Identity is a tool just like that. You know, it's just so funny that people get upset about that because it just, it really is so liberating. It just is like, of course, that's the truth why are why do people want to just be addicted to their suffering i think it's because there's a lot of risk in flying that, that's the thing like when you feel like you're flying there's always the danger of falling 
And, and that's very much it. We lack faith in ourselves. And so, so we resist anything we don't know. We resist the unfamiliar, even though it's how we could feel like we're flying. It's kind of like that one story or poem. I'm sure you've heard of it about uh, the prisoner who was like in the prison cell. And then somebody's like, why haven't you left? The door's been open the whole time. Yeah. You, you just stayed in the prison cell? Just walk out. <laughs> but I'm repainting it. Yeah. <laughs> but I know that I'm going to get meals here. And uh, I like, it's like, just go. There's, there's a procession of certainty in the prison yeah. cell. As soon as you walk outside the prison cell, things are no longer certain, as shitty as that certainty is. Certainty versus uncertainty, prisons versus freedom. Clinging to prisons because we feel certain in that. We're afraid of feeling uncertain. I think it's what so much of this comes down to. And we don't recognize that the prison that we're making has an incredible amount of inter interlocking blocks that make those walls. And those blocks are our commitment to control. It, it is our commitment to identity. It's all the layers that we've piled up over time that we call our subconscious. And questioning it is the way to let ourselves out of that prison. But as long as we're invested in it, as long as we don't want to look at it, we don't want to face it, we don't want to address it, the prison just reinforces itself over and over and over again. And that's the whole point. So on that note, we are going to have to end this episode because as I know from my previous discussion with Farah, we could do this for hours and hours and hours. I think our last conversation was supposed to go about a half hour. We talked for about an hour and a half. Okay. Always fun, for sure. Um, before we wrap up here, I just wanted to ask if, as a hypnotherapist and as a subconscious mind whisperer, is there anything that you could offer our audience in terms of an insight or perhaps an exercise that might help them as they're struggling through being lost in an emotion or being lost in thought? Oh my gosh, there's so many. I think a, a really underutilized tool is simply journaling, but journaling in a very specific way in that it should be so unstructured. So like just my journal is just blank pieces of paper, not even lines, doodling and trying to purposely like write almost faster than you can possibly think. So it just looks like scribbling because I think a lot of times we don't realize how disconnected we are from truth. And really all transformation is, and we've and essentially what we've talked about before is transformation is not that this idea of becoming something you are not, it is revealing what you have been the whole time. And so to me, um, it's just, and sometimes this is why people need to work with practitioners. You know, I have a hypnotherapist, I have a therapist, I have actually two therapists, <laughs> like, you know, we all need help. And sometimes just like, a person to be with us because the experience can be very scary, especially when you're in your twenties and you're kind of dealing with existential angst and life is just like, what is going on? It's nice to just have someone there with you when you're on that journey, just to remind you that whatever you're doing, whatever's coming up is exactly what needs to come up. You're safe. Everything's going to be fine. When you start this kind of a process, it could feel like you're going crazy. And that means you're probably on the right path. If you feel like you're going crazy, you're probably really not. Um, so yeah, I think it's just a journey of understanding that your whole perfect, beautiful, luminous, amazing, numinous creature and that as long as you stand in truth with yourself, you will always stand on firm, solid foundation. That is 
beautifully said. <laughs> I really appreciated the way you articulated all of that. And yeah, I think it's a perfect way to end off this fucking awesome conversation. This is I like this is one of my favorite episodes we've had for sure. So yeah, Farah, thank you so much for coming on, taking the time, joining us. I think people are gonna drive a lot of value from this conversation. And I'm very excited for our next chat. If they can if they have the mentality where they can derive a lot of value from this conversation. The point is, is that we put it out there, we've thrown a seed and it's always going to be available for anybody who does want to make the most of it. And I think that's really all that we can do. So we're going to wrap this episode up now. Of course, we have episode 12 coming up next week. Community topics number six and number seven will be out soon. Um, Farah, I can't express how grateful I am that you made the time to have this conversation with us. I knew we would have a good time. Uh, if you don't already know, I think I did mention it in passing, we do have retreats that have now started for Dualistic Unity. Our first one's coming up in November, but then we're gonna have another one in May. So if ever you have the opportunity to join us at a retreat, I know I would love the opportunity to talk to you for a longer period of time. I know the guests that join us at that retreat would like the same. And I know it would be just a fantastic time of, of insight and adventure and exploration. And so if ever you can make it, we would love to see you. But in the meantime, thank you so much for joining us here today. Uh, we're going to wrap up. Of course, we will see you next week. Thanks for joining us, everyone. Bye, everyone.